Welcome to the legacy teachings of Bill Anzavino, pastor of Christian Assembly Church since 1979. Though these teachings are decades old, we invite you to get out your Bible, take notes, and get ready to receive the uncompromised teaching of God's Word. For more information about Christian Assembly Church, please visit us online at cafamily.net. Blessed be the name of the Lord. I'd like to invite you to turn with me to the book of 1 Peter, if you would, please. Epistle of Peter, the first epistle, chapter 1. Hallelujah. And we're going to look at verse 7. I want to talk with you a little bit tonight about God's thoughts on trials and tests and tragedies and storms of life and that sort of thing. Prayerfully, we'll refine our faith, renew our minds, and refresh our spirits. That's why you're here tonight. To refine your faith. You want your faith refined? Praise God. You've got to be prepared to stand against the tests of life. And you've got to have strong faith to do so. We're going to look at 1 Peter chapter 1 and we're going to look at verse 7. But first, how many of you know that God's thoughts are higher than our thoughts? And that God's ways are higher than our ways? How many of you know that you're not going to get anywhere in God unless you change your thoughts and your ways? and line up with God's thoughts and God's ways. For God's ways and thoughts are higher than ours as the heavens are higher than the earth. As a matter of fact, the only way we're going to get anywhere is by recognizing that God is much wiser and smarter than I. Amen? Can you say amen to that? If that's the only nugget you learned tonight, you've learned a whole lot. Amen? God is bigger and wiser and much smarter than we are. And He knows a whole lot more about life than we do. For He is the author of it, and He has given us His Word so that we can learn how to master it. Amen? Amen. Praise God. So don't forget that. In 1 Peter 1, 7, we are told that the trial of your faith, being much more precious than of gold that perisheth, though it be tried with fire, might be found unto praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ. Now, I want you to notice... When it comes to right thinking or thinking the thoughts of God with regard to trials and tests and tragedies and circumstances and storms and all kinds of challenges that come to us in life, it's important that we recognize that the trial that comes our way is a trial against our faith. Faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. Tests and trials come against our faith. Isn't that true? Well, if tests and trials come against our faith, I think that makes it very clear that God is not the author of tests or trials. Wouldn't you agree? I don't believe that God sends His Word to build faith and then sends trials to destroy faith. Do you? No, God is the one who wants us to have faith. And God is the one who wants us to grow in faith. And God is the one who wants our faith to be developed. If there's any enemy or force coming against our faith, it has to be Satan and the kingdom of darkness. God is not the one who is sending tests and trials our way. There are a lot of people in life who feel as though the tests, trials, storms, and challenges come from God. 
As a matter of fact, there are different perspectives and different views that people have with regard to tests and trials and circumstances and challenges and storms and all that. There are those, I'm sure there are many in the faith movement, if you want to call it that, who felt as though for the longest time that if a trial would come, it wouldn't come to them, it would go to somebody else. In other words, I'm a person of faith and because I have faith, I'm not going to encounter any difficulties in life. I'm going to go through life on flowery beds of ease. And as far as I'm concerned, I'm exempt from all these things. They can't touch my life. That was the mindset, the deep-seated mindset that they had. And they thought they were going to live that way. Well, it didn't take very long for them to find out that they were deluded and deceived by thinking that way. See, when a person thinks that way, a couple of things happen. First of all, if a period of time goes by and they don't have any trials or tribulations, and I'm sure Satan would take his hand off that life for a while because that person thinks that way, then what happens is that person gets caught up in pride. Man, look at me. I've been going for six months in this faith walk now. I haven't had anything come against me. Thank God for my life, and I'm just victorious and all that. Then lo and behold, tomorrow morning comes. See, they get caught up in pride as a result of, of maybe not having any situations arise quickly in their lives. And they think that way, you know, that they can't be touched. And then all of a sudden, they're caught up in pride and an attack comes against them in life and they don't know what to do. And also, this has happened too. I've noticed this happened also. There are those who look at other people during that particular time when nothing's happening to them and they think that they're less spiritual than they are. You know, here's a brother so-and-so, they're going through this, and sister so-and-so is going through that, but not me. You know, I'm, I'm okay. Everything is all right with me. We've got to protect ourselves from that kind of thinking. That's wrong thinking when it comes to storms and tests and challenges that we face in life because Jesus said the storms of life come to every single one of us, no matter who we are. And in order for us to be successful in protecting ourselves during storms and trials and challenges of life... We've got to think right. We've got to recognize where the trial and the test comes from. And we have to maintain a proper perspective. And if we don't, like I said, we're going to be messed up. We're going to be caught up in pride and people are going to think less of other people because they're going through tests and trials. And I've heard them even say, well, where's your faith? You're not using your faith. You know, beloved, it's so important for us to maintain an attitude of love and walk in love when it comes to everyone in life. And if you see your brother or sister encountering tests or trials or circumstances in life, don't have that kind of an attitude or a condescending spirit toward them. Have a heart of compassion and love and help them, praise God, along the way. Encourage that person along the way. Build them up along the way. Don't look at them negatively and think because they don't have any faith, that's why they're having a test or a trial. You can have all kinds of faith and have a test or a trial. I can prove that to you very simply. Jesus was tested. Jesus was tempted. Jesus had storms of life come His way. Did He not? Does that mean He wasn't a person of faith? Absolutely not. Then, of course, there are those uh, in another group, and they think along these lines. They think, well, a test and a trial comes from God to teach me a lesson. See, God has a purpose in this test or in this trial, and I've got to learn something from it, and so I accept it as coming from God. As a matter of fact, recently... Uh, Brother Chuck and I were up at the hospital and we had uh, to pray for somebody who was up there. And this was a person who was from another religious background. We went up there to pray for this person. They welcomed us to, to come and pray with them. And as a matter of fact, their ministers were there and, and all that. And, and we sat and talked a little bit and then, then prayed the prayer of faith. Afterward, 
you know, they, they just began to say things like, well, we thank God for this test and for this trial because we know that He has a purpose in it because He wants to teach us a lesson. Now, when a body is racked with pain, sickness, and disease, or cancer, or anything like that, and a person thinks that that came from God, I'll tell you, beloved, something happens. First of all, they're blaming God for something that He did not do. They're putting it off on Him as if He was the force behind it. And they're not blaming Satan for what he has done. And also, they are not in a position or a place where they're going to resist the enemy or defeat the enemy because they accept that test or trial is coming from God for a purpose. I never realize what the purpose is, and I don't know how many ever find out what that purpose is. I don't know if they ever learned a lesson or taught a lesson or whatever in that circumstance or trial, but I do realize this, many don't make it. And many never defeat the enemy or overcome whatever the situation may be. And then the family just goes on not really knowing what had happened or why it happened, and they're all confused. Let me illustrate to you. How many of you believe in teaching your children? As they grow up in life, teaching them right things, truths that are going to be helpful to their lives. How many of you believe you should teach your child to respect fire? That's pretty good. Well, how many of you would stick your child's hand in the flame and let one little finger maybe burn off so that you can teach that child that fire is hot, don't touch it? How many of you would do that? What would you use? You would educate, wouldn't you? You wouldn't want to stick that child's finger in the flame of fire and let it burn in order to teach a lesson. I guarantee you the child would learn a lesson in a hurry. I also believe that we should teach our children that knives are sharp. What about you? But I don't believe we should cut off a finger or cut them somewhere to let them know that a knife is sharp. Do you? No, we should educate them and teach them and instruct them and show them in a different manner. How many of you believe that we should teach our children that cars hit hard? We should. Don't run out in the street because you can get run over by a car. And when cars hit you, they hit hard. But you wouldn't want to run your child over with the car just to teach them that cars hit hard, would you? Then why do people think that God sends cancerous tumors in people's bodies to teach them a lesson? Why is it that there are believers out there that believe that God causes them to enter into car wrecks and plane crashes and all these different kinds of things just to teach people lessons? It's because they're not thinking the thoughts of God. It's because minds have not been renewed by the Word of God. And as a result of not knowing the thoughts of God and understanding the ways of God, which are much higher than our ways and thoughts, they're bound by their lower thinking. And they accept the lie of the enemy. And as a result, they have no defense. And they're not going to rise up to a place of victory. They're not going to learn how to overcome. God wants us to learn how to overcome with our faith, by our faith, in this life. But we can't if our thinking is wrong. God does not teach us by sending tests, trials, and storms and tragedies our way. He doesn't do that. The trial is on our faith, and God is not the one who's doing it. It's the enemy who is doing it. How does God teach us? I'm so glad you asked. Second Timothy, if you would, please. 
and chapter 3. How does God teach His children? The same way you would teach your child about fire. The same way you would teach your child that a knife is sharp and you need to stay away from it. The same way that you would teach your child that an automobile is something to be respected. Don't you step out in front of an automobile because you could get killed. And other things in life that are dangerous to our children's survival, we teach them what is right and we teach them what is wrong. Amen? Absolutely. In 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 16, all Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction and instruction. For instruction in righteousness that the man of God may be perfect, truly furnished unto all good works. How does God teach His children? Through His Word. He teaches through His Word. He instructs us through His Word. From a young age, we are to be taught the Word of God so that we understand what is good and what is evil. So that we know what is of God and what is not of God. So that we can learn how to change our way of thinking and line up with God's way of thinking. But God does not teach us or instruct us by sending tragedies into our lives. And I realize that's biggest among some denominations and some others who, who have their, their own beliefs. They really think that and they believe that. And really it's paralyzing faith. We want to have a faith that overcomes. We don't want paralyzed faith. And in order to have strong faith, our thinking has to line up with the Word of God. This is exactly what a doctrine of devils is. We read about doctrines of devils, but do we really understand what one is? That is a doctrine of devils right there. If Satan could make an individual think that God is causing the problem, that person's faith is paralyzed. I'll tell you what, Paul ran into a lot of difficulty in his journeys, his missionary journeys and trips. God was not the one causing his difficulties. God was not the one causing his problems. God was not stirring up people against him just to see if he would stand true. God was not causing, inspiring people to beat his feet with rods just to see that he would stand true to his beliefs. God was not the one that was stirring people up to take Paul's life just to refine his faith or purify his faith life. No, God gave His Word to purify our faith. God has given us the Holy Ghost to quicken us according to the Word so that our faith would rise and grow with, from within. That's God's way. That's God's plan. He is not involved in bringing tragedies or storms into our lives. We can look at that by looking at the life of Jesus. As a matter of fact, go on to Luke's Gospel, chapter 4, if you would, please. And let's see how Jesus viewed situations that rose up against Him. Were they coming from God or were they coming from another source? In Luke's Gospel, chapter 4, you recall the story. Jesus just defeated Satan as He was tempted in the wilderness. He came in the power of the Spirit in His hometown. He began to preach and teach that the Spirit of the Lord was upon Him because He hath anointed Him to do certain things. And He went about teaching these truths. And then... Everywhere he went, in the synagogue or in the temple, he would teach and preach the Word of God. And look at verse 28 of Luke chapter 4. And all they that they in the synagogue, when they heard these things, were filled with wrath. You know, sometimes preaching makes people angry. Did you ever notice that? Sometimes even good preaching makes people angry. Come on, say amen. 
It makes people angry. It gets them upset. And you know, if you go into a church where people believe that trials, tests, and tragedies come from God and you start teaching them that they don't, they'll get angry at you. Think about that just for a moment. You're trying to tell them that God's on their side. They get angry. You're trying to tell them the devil's against you. They get angry. You try to tell them they don't have to have Paul's thorn in their flesh. They want it. You try to tell them they don't have to be sick anymore. They say, hmm, how dare you? Think about that for a moment. It puzzles me. When I first started preaching and teaching these truths from the Word of God, I thought people would get excited. And I realized what they did was picked up stones. I mean, they start hurling their religious stones at you like, my goodness. You know, flames of fire just wanting to burn you alive because you're preaching, hey, you don't have to be sick anymore. Hey, you don't have to be overcome by the devil and his bunch anymore. Those tests and trials and circumstances coming against you are trying your faith and you can rise up by counting it all joy and believing God for the victory. Man, don't preach that around here, brother. My goodness, and I just, it just puzzled me. Well, here, Jesus started preaching truth. They got angry. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, he said. I've been sent to preach good news. They got angry. So what did they do? They rose up, verse 29, thrust him out of the city, led him under the brow of the hill whereon their city was built, that they might cast him down headlong. (laughs) That's his reward for preaching truth. But... He passing through the midst of them. Now, he didn't stop out there and just say, Now, boys, I want you to know that it must be the will of God that I fall over headlong. Did he? Go ahead and cast me down because I know the Lord's just trying my faith just to see how I'll respond if I'll be true. No, I think Jesus knew it meant it wasn't something he wanted to encounter. So he just rose up in the Spirit and walked through the midst of them. He rose up in faith protected by the hand of the Lord and walked out of that situation. He knew it wasn't of God. But if he would have thought the Father wanted him to go through that, he would have been wrong. True? That's how he reacted in situations uh, like that. I recall another time in Mark's Gospel, you can find this, and he was in a boat. And they were out there on the sea. And a storm arose. And when the storm arose, of course, his disciples were upset and afraid and all that. You know the story. He woke up and he rebuked the storm. Well, that storm, that test, that trial did not come from the Father. He didn't even stand there and say to His disciples. It was just the Father testing our faith to see whether or not we'd be true. Did He say that? No. He rebuked the storm, which was not caused by His Father, because He knew it didn't come from heaven. And He knew He had to rise in faith and said to them, where's your faith? You can use your faith against the storms of life, but you know what? If you don't think you can, then you can't. And you won't. And if you think they're coming from God, you're not going to fight God. If you think a problem that you're encountering right now is a part of God's plan for your life, you're not going to do anything to defeat the enemy who really is the one behind it. And that's exactly why he wants people to think that way, because if they think that way, their faith is paralyzed. Oh, they'll say, but I have faith in God. I know you have faith in God, but you're not thinking like God thinks. You're not thinking about trials and tragedies and and situations and challenges and circumstances and storms that are coming into your life like you should. You see, we have got to be reprogrammed after being deprogrammed, and we've got to learn how to think like God thinks. We've got to know our enemy. 
We've got to know what he's capable of. We've got to know what he does so that we can use our faith, develop our strategy and stand against all the wiles of the devil. We don't have to be defeated. There was another time in Luke's gospel, chapter seven, you can find this. You don't have to turn to it. But here was a situation where there was a funeral procession that was going on. And during this procession, you know, everybody's mourning and, and the mother of this child is crying and, and mourning because of, you know, her young child dying. Jesus didn't view that situation and walk up to the mother and say, ma'am, excuse me. I just want you to know that God has a purpose in this and God has a plan. He's really just trying to test your faith and determine whether or not you're going to be faithful and true. No, he didn't even address the mother. He walked right over to the casket, spoke right to the child. The child arose and began to speak to all them, raised the child up from the dead. That's how Jesus handled uh, trials, circumstances, tragedies, challenges of life. And he presented her back to the mother. Can you imagine the joy that was in her heart? There's not one time you can ever find where there was a storm, a challenge, a tragedy, or a trial where God was the one who was behind it when it comes to the lives of His own children. God was not doing that. As a matter of fact, if they ever got to a place where they were overcome by an enemy, it was because they got off from beneath the covenant. Come on, say a better amen than that. They got off from beneath the covenant, and the grace of God was not there to protect them and keep them from the evils of the age. So that was another situation that Jesus encountered. He just rose up and stood against the enemy, stood against death, and won the victory. Now, this one I want you to turn to. It's in John's Gospel, chapter 10. It's a text that you might be familiar with, especially if you attend church here once or twice. John's Gospel, chapter 10, and verse 10. And it tells us that the thief comes not but for to steal, to kill, and to destroy. But I am come that you might have life and that you might have it more abundantly. Satan comes, the thief, the enemy who is against us to steal from us, to kill us, to destroy us. Those are his only objectives. That's what his life is all about. That's what his awful existence is all about, beloved. Locating us and then finally either killing, destroying, stealing from us. Whatever he can possibly do, he sets out to do. And let's put it this way. Whatever we allow him to do by our wrong thinking, he will do. But here is a dividing line between what God does and what the devil does. And we need to renew our minds to it. God is not the author of tests, trials, and circumstances and challenges and situations that come against us that are tragic. God is the author of what produces life and that in abundance. God wants us to experience and enjoy the abundance of His life. But the enemy comes along and he wants to steal from us. You know, we should be upset about that. Upset about the fact that this enemy out there actually has the audacity to think that he can take what belongs to us. Whether it be our health, our soundness of mind, our finances, our family, or whatever it is that belongs to us in this life. We should be angry and upset that we have an unseen force out there whose, again, objective it is to steal from us. And if he can kill us or utterly destroy everything that we stand for and represent. Beloved, I want you to turn with me to the book of Job, if you would, please, in chapter 1. Job chapter 1. And I want to share with you some things I believe that will really help 
benefit you and every single one of us and others who may listen to this tape or maybe help you instruct someone else to let them know exactly where their problems are coming from so that they can stop blaming God, start blaming the devil, and then rise up in faith and take back what belongs to them. And that's what this life of faith is all about. In Job chapter 1, there are two worlds. There is the spirit world or the supernatural world, and there is the natural world in which we live. And I don't think we have a problem with that, do we? We know that that's true. But sometimes in Scripture, God will peel back the curtain that veils the spirit world and allow us to look into that spirit realm so that we can glean some light and gain some revelation about things. And in the book of Job, we have that revelation. God has taken it upon Himself by His Spirit to remove the curtain, to open the curtain that blocks the view of the spirit realm, lets us look into the spirit realm and then see why things happen in the natural realm. As a matter of fact, our perspective was much, is much better than what Job's was when he was encountering his difficulties. Did you know that? Absolutely. We have that perspective right now. We have that view because we have the revelation of the Word of God. Now, I want you to follow with me, if you would please, in, in chapter 1, verse 1. There was a man in the land of Uz whose name was Job, and that man was perfect and upright and one that feared God and eschewed evil. And there, was, uh, there were born unto him seven sons and three daughters. His substance also was 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, 500 she-asses, and a very great household, so that this man was the greatest of all men of the East. Wow. That's pretty good, wouldn't you say? As a matter of fact, if you read it all through, you'll find out these certain facts about Job. Number one, he was righteous. Number two, he was rich. Number three, he was healthy. And number four, he had a big family. He was also happy. He was a happy person. And he was blessed by God. And there was a hedge about him and about all that he possessed because of his faith in the living God. As a matter of fact, look at verse 10. Hast thou not made a hedge about him and about his house and about all that he hath on every side? Thou hast blessed the work of his hands and his substance is increased in the land. Now, let's stop right there. When God had his way in Job's life, when Job was living under the blessings of God, what did he have? Everything. This man was marked as one of the greatest, wealthiest, most blessed men in all the East. Tremendous, isn't it? You read through the whole, again, a few chapters here, and you discover this. Once Job fell victim to Satan, once Satan got his dirty hands on Job, what facts characterize his life? Number one, he's confused. He's full of doubt. He's poor. He is sick unto death. He's got a frustrated wife that wants him to curse God and die. He is discouraged, right? And full of fear. 
He lost his family. He lost his goods. And there was no hedge about it. Who blessed him? God did. Who caused the confusion, the poverty, the sickness and disease, the loss of his family and everything else that he possessed? Who brought all that anguish and heartache into his life? Satan did. He didn't know this. We know it because we read about it, because the curtain has been removed for our benefit. We can see what happened. And I know that you have all kind of arguments about, well, God had to let him do it. But just, just for sake of argument, look at chapter 3 and verse 25, because that will really clear up so people know and understand that God was not the author of Job's problems. God is the one that blessed him, and God is the one that put the hedge about him, and God is the one that gave him all that he had. Chapter 3, verse 25, For the thing which I greatly feared. How many know that fear will destroy you? How many of you know that fear will open the door to Satan? See, we know that because we have greater revelation than what they had back then. But would you agree that fear opens up the door to the enemy? Well, let me ask you this question. What about great fear? The fear that I greatly feared. And if you read the thing in context, you find out that, that Job left the realm of faith, entered the realm of fear... And as a result of his fear, opened the door to Satan and put a hole in the hedge. As a result, all that he had now was under Satan's power. And when Satan got a hold of him, he brought confusion, he brought doubt, as well as the fear, as well as everything else that we mentioned. The poverty, the sickness, even nigh into death. I mean... All these things came into his life, not because God willed it, but because he got into fear and opened up the door to Satan. I know sometimes we don't want to face things that way, beloved, but you know, the same thing is very true in people's lives today. Very often we open up the door to the enemy and kind of wonder why we're having so many difficulties in life. Come on, I'm preaching better than you're responding right now. I mean, it's the truth. We open up the door to the enemy and kind of wonder, well, why did that happen and why did this happen? And there comes a time that we have got to recognize our need to fill up the hedge by getting before God and repenting so that that wall that's been broken down is built back up and we can have victory once again in our lives over the enemy and all that he brings. But if we sit back thinking, well, not me, I couldn't have done anything like that. This is just God at work trying to teach me a lesson. I don't want to wait around to find out what you learned from that lesson. Because I know this, Job was not happy. Now, going back to chapter 1, again in verse 6, because here's some things that I believe we need to see also, even in the day in which we live. See, here's what happened. Satan did much damage to the life of Job, but then deceived Job into thinking that God was the author of his problems. And that's what happens in people's lives today. He runs rampant over a person's life, causes all these problems, and then the person sits back thinking that, well, God is the one who is the author of this, and this is what He's doing to my life. I've got to grin and bear it because this is my cross. Well, beloved, that's not the way it is. Look at verse 6 of chapter 1. Now, there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan came also among them. Stop right there. People think Satan's in hell. But consider the fact that Jesus called him the prince of the power of the air. 
He is not in a pit. He is not in hell. He is the prince of the power of the air. And there are demon forces on earth and there are demon forces in the first heavenlies and they're all targeting our lives on this earth. Let's remember that. We get that revelation. And the Lord said unto Satan, in verse 7, Whence comest thou? In other words, where have you come from? Then Satan answered the Lord and said, From going to and fro in the earth. Where was he? That's a frightening thought. Where was he? Well, I just came out of, let me see, left Midland, came through industry, and I'm up here. Went over to Chester for a while and East Liverpool and then Beaver and Vanport and Beaver Falls and Chippewa. And just walking to and fro. Well, why is he walking to and fro on the earth? Well, the Bible says he walketh about. I like that consistency. <laughs> Don't you? He was just walking about in the earth, going to and fro. What was he doing? Seeking whom he may devour. Who is he seeking? Someone who is doing no thinking. Did you get that? See, he's trying to get people to think wrong. And when people think wrong, he can devour them. But when people think right, he can't. And he knows that. And so he sends his force into the earth. He himself visits parts of the earth. He's not omnipresent like God is. But he is reported to by those that serve him. And they feed him information. And he does whatever he possibly can do to try to destroy the lives of people. That is his business. He is in the people destroying, killing, stealing business. That is his profession. That's where he came from. From going to and fro in the earth and from walking up and down it. He does walk, doesn't he? As a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. Well, I like this in verse 8. It blesses my soul to read this verse. And it should bless yours also. And the Lord said unto Satan, Hast thou considered my servant Job? I'm proud of him. I like that, don't you? Have you noticed, Brother Rich, Brother Pete, have you noticed, Sister Tammy, do you like that? Think about that for a moment. Have you considered Job? Have you noticed him? There is none like him in the earth. A perfect and an upright man. What is God's testimony about you? Have you noticed when you were down there walking through industry or walking through wherever you live and what town you live? Have you noticed my servant who is upright? Tells me two things. The enemy has opportunity to notice and so does the Father. Amen. And the Father knows our actions, our activities, what we do in the earth. And when you're doing it right, He may even point it out to the devil. How <laughs> had it like that? He's upright. He's walking upright. Look at Him down there serving me with His life. And I love it. 
So what does uh, Satan do? Verse 9. Then Satan answered the Lord and said, Well, does he fear you for naught? Haven't you made a hedge about him? Haven't you blessed him in his house? On every side? You blessed the works of his hands? And the sub- his substance is increased in the land. No wonder. I'm going to tell you something right now. We've got a whole lot more than Jesus and Job ever had. That doesn't make you want to shout. I don't know what does. God has blessed us coming in. God has blessed us going out. God has blessed us with the blood of the Lamb. God has blessed us with the use of the name of Jesus Christ. We are blessed to be the righteousness of God in Christ. Sons of God. Heirs of God. Join heirs with Jesus Christ. We are blessed, 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 blessed people upon the face of this earth. Redeemed from the curse of the law. Poverty, sickness, and death. We're the head and not the tail. We're above and not beneath. We've got a hedge about us, praise God. Anointed with Holy Ghost and fire. That's who we are. I like that, don't you? Have you noticed? He tell the devil, have you noticed? Amen. Well, beloved, God was not his problem. God was the one that blessed him. Satan was the one who became Job's problem. And he became his problem only because Job got into fear. And I believe that God has allowed this to be in part of Revelation so that you and I can see some things beyond the curtain and know how activity takes place in that spirit world that affects us in this natural world. That's happening today. He is still the prince of the power of the air, whether we realize it or not. He is still at work walking about as a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. He is trying to find out ways in the people's lives so that he can destroy our testimony and destroy the work of God. And whatever weakness we have, he is trying to find out what it is so that he can bring confusion, doubt, fear, anxiety, destruction into our lives just as he did Job or anybody else's life. I want you to turn to Luke's Gospel for a moment and hold your place there before you do. Put your bookmark or whatever you have to to put there so you go back to it. But in Luke's Gospel you'll notice that he's no respecter of persons. The enemy doesn't care what your name is. I mean, if he'll attack Jesus, you might as well face it. He's going to attack you. And those people that think that, you know, I'm going to go through life without all these problems and all these, uh, you know, situations and challenges, they've got another thought coming because if he attacked Jesus, you know he's going to be on your case. Isn't that right? In Luke 22 and verse 31, get a hold of this. And the Lord said, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan hath desired to have you. I like to say it like this. He wants to eat you for lunch. As a roaring lion, he wants to eat you for lunch. Can you see that? People live their Christian lives blaming God when Satan is the one walking to and fro throughout the earth trying to find out how to mess up people's lives. And people think, oh, it must be somebody else's fault or maybe God's got a a purpose behind this and all this. When the enemy is laughing behind the curtain because they can't see him, but they've been taught to think this way, so they disregard the thoughts of God and they just let their own carnal thinking dominate their lives. How many of you know the carnal mind is enmity against God? But have you considered a carnal mind to be a mind that says, this is God at work in my life? That's a carnal mind. Did you know that? That's not a spiritual mind because that's not God at work bringing tragedies into your life. 
That's the enemy. Satan hath desired to have you that he may sift you as wheat. Now, if these next words don't make you jump out of your body. But I have prayed for thee that thy faith fail not. Next time you ask me to pray for you, you know what I'm going to tell you on the phone? Jesus has already prayed for you. Well, I like that, don't you? Jesus already prayed for you, brother, that your faith fail not. I mean, I'll just join mine with his. I'll say, I agree with Jesus. <laughs> I agree with Jesus that your faith fail not. I agree with Jesus. He's already prayed. He prayed for Peter. He's prayed for us that our faith fail not. Peter's not the only one he's prayed for. He ever lives to make intercession for the saints. Amen. Prayed for all of us. He doesn't want our faith to fail. It's the devil who wants to sift us like wheat. It's the devil that wants to eat us for lunch. But thank God Jesus has prayed that our faith fell not. And I hook up with Him. I agree with Him. He prayed that my faith won't fail and my faith won't fail. Praise God. And then when thou art converted, He said, you go strengthen the brother. In other words, you go teach people the same truth. You see, beloved, we should want God to be proud of us just as He was proud of Job. And the only way that can be is if we stay under the blood. Because when you're under the blood, He's so proud of you. Amen. And He still loves you when you go from beneath it, but you've got to get back under it, praise God, so that you're not devoured by the enemy. Now, go on back there to the book of Job, as I said And these verses are going to help us better understand, even in our day, what Satan will use to destroy a person's life. In chapter 1 and verse 16, While he was yet speaking, there came also another and said, The fire of God... I'm sorry, back up to verse 15 first. And the Sabaeans fell upon them and took them away, yea... They have slain the servants with the edge of the sword, and I only am escaped alone to tell thee. While he was yet speaking, there came also another and said, The fire of God is fallen from heaven and hath burned up the sheep and the servants and consumed them, and I only am escaped alone to tell thee. While he was yet speaking, there came also another and said, The Chaldeans made out three bands and fell upon the camels and carried them away, yea, and slain the servants with the edge of the sword, and I only am escaped alone to tell thee. While he was yet speaking, there came also another and said, Thy sons and thy daughters were eating and drinking wine in their elder brother's house. And behold, there came a great wind from the wilderness and smote the four corners of the house, and it fell upon the young men, and they are dead, and I only am escaped alone to tell thee. Did you see just see right there in those verses what Satan used? He used people, the Sabaeans and the Chaldeans, right? He used the fire from heaven. That's talking about the first heavens. Let's talk about lightning. And then wind, a tornado, or a great gust of wind to destroy people's lives. That's what he used. He's going to use people. And if need be, he used the elements. He'll use whatever he possibly can. Those storms, that storm that arose out in the sea, you think that came from the Father? It didn't come from the Father. You see how the enemy is involved in these things? He's the prince of the power of the air. And he is diligent at work trying to do his best 
to destroy people's lives by using other people. See, too often, beloved, we hear that, but we don't let it sink in. Do you think your brother or your sister is your enemy? Do you think that, you know, your board member or, or somebody else that you're associated with in life is your enemy, the person that you work with in life or socialize with or whatever? It is Satan stirring up trouble, stirring up people, doing whatever he can to bring death and destruction into people's lives, whatever it is. He'll use anything if it's a storm, if it's a tornado, if it's a as we already said, fire from heaven or lightning or whatever. He'll use anything he possibly can to destroy people's lives. And after he did all these things to Job, Job comes up with that statement he made in verse 21. Well, let's read 21. Then Job arose and ran his mantle and shaved his head and fell down upon the ground and worship and said, Naked came I out of my mother's womb and naked shall I return thither. The Lord gave and the Lord had taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Now, it's true Job said that, but it's not true what he said. God did not take away what he had. Satan did. And Satan did it because he was in fear. And because he was in fear, he opened up the door. Because he opened up the door, Satan used lightning. He used people. And he used storms to come against Job's life. And now Job is left confused. He is left empty. He is left uh, with a wife that tells him just to curse God and die. He is discouraged. He is frustrated. He is unhappy. He has no family. He has no goods. He lost all of his wealth. And all he has left, my goodness, are those friends. <laughs> and with friends like that, you don't need Satan. Turn with me to James chapter 4, if you would please, and we'll bring it to a close here. Satan will use anything that he can within this realm to destroy our lives. We are to do something about it. God did not do it. God blessed Job. Satan took away from Job. And that's the revelation we get from this book. It's a book of redemption. In actuality, it's a mini-story of redemption. In James chapter 4 and verse 7, we are told, Submit yourselves therefore unto God. Everybody say, resist the devil. That means take a firm stand against the devil. But if you don't know the devil's behind it, if you don't know that he's behind the curtain then what are you going to do? If you think it's coming from God, what's the person going to do? They're not going to resist. They're not going to stand against it. They may even welcome it and entertain it. And that's exactly what the enemy wants. We are told to resist the devil. And in this case, resist confusion, resist doubt, resist poverty, resist sickness, resist frustration, resist discouragement, right? Resist failure, Resist attacks upon your family and your home life. Resist these attacks upon your marriage, your family, your home life and all that. We are to resist all that. We're so caught up in the whirlwind of things that we think that it's all happening because of, of the people here. But we don't realize that there is a curtain veiling the spirit world from our eyes and we can't see what's going on behind the scenes. You ever see in the making of a movie... They have sometimes on television, they'll put behind the scenes how this really took place. I said, I was amazed at one time. I, wa I saw how they made this one particular movie. You ever think about how some of these animals are used and you think they get hurt in the making of some of these movies? And I saw that they used a play horse that looked like a real horse and the horse looked like it just fell over and broke its legs, but it didn't. It was a play horse. But television made it look so real 
and believable that you actually thought if you saw that, it was a real horse. See? But behind the scenes, you can see it wasn't real at all. And it changed your whole different perspective. Beloved, we've got to look beyond the scene, behind the scenes. We've got to realize this isn't our problem. There's the problem. There's the source. That's where it comes from. We've got to get the right thoughts in our minds and the wrong thoughts out and start recognizing that this is the enemy targeting my life, my mind, my way of thinking, my perception of things. Job thought God did it. He was confused, doubtful, full of fear, frustrated, discouraged. I mean, he was open season for the enemy and the enemy touched every part of his life. And he'll do the same to anybody who doesn't realize their need to resist. Everybody said to me, I can and I will resist the devil. Tests, trials, circumstances, challenges, tragedies will not overcome me. I'm more than a conqueror through Jesus Christ. Be like Jesus and stand up as He did on the boat. And say to the wind, to the sea, to the storm, No! No longer! I refuse! And if you think about it, is it not true? Could it not be true that Satan, as he stirred up the storm and the wind against Job's family, could he not have stirred up the wind against Jesus out there on the boat? You know he looked for a more opportune time to come and get Jesus, didn't he? So what whirlwinds are, what might he be stirring up in your life, in my life? See, it may not be a literal, physical wind that he's stirring up a tornado, but sometimes things have hit you and it's like you've just been hit by a whirlwind, totally confused. Man, what truck just ran over me, right? In your mind, in your emotions and all that. Well, we've got to rise up above all that. And we've got to start recognizing who our enemy is. And we've got to take our stand. And we've got to do what the Word of God says do. Look at First Peter 5 and verse 8. Now, here's Peter. After he is strengthened, he is told to do what? He is told to strengthen the brethren after you're converted. After you learn how to overcome Satan, you teach the brethren how to overcome your adversary. And in 1 Peter 5, 8, he says, Be sober, which means be alert, be on guard, and be serious about your spiritual warfare. Don't quit, don't whine, don't cry, don't complain, don't blame God. I'm telling you, it's time for you to take a stand. It's time to you, for you to be wise, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about seeking whom he may devour. And you'll never know when he's going to visit our area as he walks up and down the earth. And so it's time for believers to be wise, alert, on guard, ready, prepared for the enemy is at work out there trying to destroy people's lives. But he says in verse 9, whom resist steadfast. And one translation says, with your faith. Faith means I know it's come from the devil. I know that God has the solution to the problem. And I'm taking the side of God and I refuse to be defeated. That's what faith is. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you, knowing the same afflictions are accomplished in your brethren that are in the world. Now, beloved, Job had his troubles. Would you agree? Job had his troubles. But my goodness, he came out of his troubles, and he came out blessed. 
As a matter of fact, he came out doubly blessed. You think about that for a while. He came out doubly blessed. You read the back of the book, the back of the book of Job, and you'll find out that Job came out blessed, doubly blessed. I don't know if you can handle this. God gave him 140 more years after to live doubly blessed. My goodness. Everybody's a poor old Job. You better be a rich old doubly blessed individual after. And the whole thing only lasted about nine months. Come on. Have you got a Job boil? Let me tell you something right now. Get ready for a double blessing. And more years of life to enjoy it. I never found out how these people that have all the Job problem seemingly never have the results at the end. 140 more years. He gave them children and as a matter of fact, the Bible says about his daughters, there, was, there were none fair as his daughters in all the land. Can you imagine what it did to his heart? Glory to God. Of course, Carly wasn't there. <laughs> I want you to know that Daniel came out of the lion's den. God didn't put him there either. I want you to know that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out of the fiery furnace. And I want you to know that God did not put them there. And what the devil meant to do to destroy, praise God, faith in God got them the victory. They withstood the temptation to deny the power of God. And they walked in the light of God's will for their lives. And they came out victorious. And every single one of us in this life, we are told, we are encouraged in the Word of God to cast down the thoughts and imaginations that rise up above the knowledge of God. What is coming against your mind like a whirlwind? What is coming out like fire out of heaven trying to target your thinking to get you to think wrong about your life and your existence and who you are in God? I want you to know it's time to rise up and say no to the devil. It's time to rise up like Jesus in the boat and say no more. Peace be still. I'm going to be still and know that I serve the living God. And He is my God. He loves me. He cares for me. I will not doubt my Father's love and care for my life. Why does God want us to, to get sick and then think that God did it? So we doubt His love and concern and care for our lives. Just like He did with Eve. Think about it. Does God really love you? Why is He withholding from you? Why is He not giving you everything to enjoy? There's something else that's out there that's good for you that you don't know about yet. And if you partake of that fruit, you're going to have the fullness of what God really has. Isn't that what He told Eve? And so she thought like that. She thought wrong. She lined up with the devil in her thinking. Adam did what he did. You know the story. And they didn't get more. They got less. Satan wants people to think that God doesn't love them and God doesn't care for them. And that's why he wants them to think that God is causing their problems. But he's not. Cast down those thoughts and imaginations and rise up in the knowledge of God. Think the thoughts of God, saints of God, and be victorious in this life by your faith. Now, I know about you, but just to reiterate again that Jesus has prayed for me that my faith not fail. Make me want to run around this church. What about you? Let's all stand before the Lord. Thank you for listening to our legacy teachings. We pray today's message has a profound impact upon your life and your ministry. I want you to know that God loves you, has a great plan for your life. But if you've never made Jesus Christ Lord and Savior of your life, I'd like to invite you to do that right now. Just pray this simple prayer right after me. Just say, Heavenly Father, I come to you just as I am. And I believe with all my heart 
that Jesus died for my sins and was raised from the dead for me. I open the door of my heart. I call upon the name of the Lord. Lord Jesus, come into my heart now. I receive you and accept you as my personal Savior and Lord. If you prayed that prayer with me, you're a child of God right now, and I encourage you to get into a good Bible-based church where you can learn to grow in your Christian faith and experience. God bless.